Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're recording. Welcome everyone to the Rink Rat Report podcast. As always, joined by Jason. We have an important little bit of news to talk about finally. Finally, something actual from act- the actual news sphere of the hockey world to talk about. And that is Austin Matthews signing a four-year contract worth $13.25 million AAV or per year. And that kicks in at the end of this season. So 13.25 for another four years. So total... We have Austin Matthews for another five seasons. Jason, what is your initial reaction on this? Let's freaking go. Finally, it gets done. We've kind of been expecting this all offseason. We've been waiting for it. It's been in the news cycle for literally a year, which kind of doesn't make any sense because Mm -hmm. he could only sign come July 1st. He still is signed for another year to this team, right? So he could only sign on July 1st as the earliest. But these were conversations that were being had from, I mean, from. Keep going. I got to grab something. I'm too excited. Okay, fair enough. Well, these are conversations that have, that have been had from, I, I don't know how long. It's very, very long, way too long. But regardless, I'm super excited by this contract. I'm super excited by this deal. Let's go. Throw on. Is that the Zurich jersey? That is the Zurich jersey. I mean, what what a grab. What a, what a pond hockey jersey that is. Um, so. I'm super excited. I'm super happy. He's here for four more years. We'll get into the term, the AAV, all that stuff after. Cap it percentage-wise, guys, I'm pretty sure. Is it low? No, it's it's definitely not lower than his previous deal, but it's lower than what McDavid originally signed at. So cap it percentage-wise, cap it is the highest contract in NHL history. Highest cap number, I believe. But yeah. cap it percentage, nowhere near, nowhere near the highest uh, On uh, if, you're, if you look at it uh, through that lens. So. Highest, yeah, it's the highest AAV ever. Um, not to be outshone though. Uh, Darren Radish also did sign for nine seventy five. So, congratulations! And I believe to Darren. Austin, another Austin signed today, a professional tryout. Austin Watson for Watson the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, <laughs> we got it. I had to pull out. Sorry, Jason, to interrupt halfway through. I had to pull out the Austin Matthews Zurich Lions jersey. That I got, I don't know how many years ago. Um, this is exciting. So this is where I've seen a lot of people complain. Oh, it's not eight years. Okay, it's not eight years. Eight years would have been the best case scenario. I don't know what the cap hit would have been there. Is it a hometown discount? I wouldn't necessarily call it a hometown discount. I think it's pretty fair as of right now. Austin Matthews is one of the best players in the league. That's what you have to keep in mind. So you have to pay him. Like he is one of the best players in the league. You can't pay say, oh, McDavid got 12 and a half, I don't know how many years, like five years ago. So you can't give him over 12 and a half. Nope, 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 nope. You can't do that. McDavid's next contract, he's going to get more than Matthews. I, I, I'd hope. Because if he doesn't, then um, investigate the Oilers for wire fraud. It depends how much the Leafs have in cap spaces with how much he'll get, right? 
Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> almost didn't. I almost didn't catch on there. But yes, exactly. Uh, maybe a little pump some Canadian Tire money in there. Pump some Scotia Bank money in there. Little teachers pension fund, whatever sponsorship too. Why <laughs> not? Look, you didn't get him for eight. Sure. A lot of people doxed Kyle Dubas. He was only able to get him for five after his entry-level deal. Yes. The difference between that deal and this one, he did not have to sign this one. He could have just left. That was always a possibility. Look what happened with Johnny Goudreau. Look what happened with all the, I don't know, a bunch of other superstars. Look what happened with John Tavares, too. They just did not, oh, the Islanders didn't get him for eight years. Yeah, the Islanders got him for zero more years, right? Yeah. They still had some some level of success after that, but um, well, who cares? Again, but you, you, yeah. you got him so for four. Exactly. There's always the possibility he could sign back again, right? Well, exactly. Like, listen, that was part of the reason why people were so worried about him signing with five years originally. They said, hey, like, what if he doesn't sign? We're walking him right to free agency. Well, guess what? Now we're here and he signed for four more years. So, hey, we would have yeah. been, we would have been crossing. If he signed for an eight year deal back then, we would still be crossing this bridge two years down the road. The question yeah. is, and the question I think on Matthew's mind is, is this team going to still be good enough when he's around four years from now? Are they going to have a chance of making the playoffs, right? Are they going to have a chance to succeed in the playoffs? So that's kind of the important things, right? So also on top of that, to be fair, Brad, like I talked about this last year before the season even started, the problems with Kyle Dubas coming into this year without a contract, not making a decision on him then and making a decision this offseason. You, this was one of the, if one of, if not the most important offseason of the, of this team over the last, I don't know, Honestly, it feels like in forever with the guys that we have to sign and the amount of salary cap space that we had. And unfortunately, we chose to keep Kyle Dubas around, which whatever, that's fine. I was okay with what he did last year. Yeah. Um, but the problem came in the offseason when we fired him and brought in Tre Living. I like Tre Living. Whatever, we've talked about that, that firing in the past. I'm not going to get too big into that there. But the biggest thing is, again, you don't have the rapport there. Tre Living doesn't have that same connection with Matthews that I assume mm -hmm. Dubas had, or not even just with Matthews, but with his agent, right? And on top of that, do we know that, like, does Matthews know for certain that Treliving can build a good team environment that Matthews likes to be in? He doesn't know that. It's a sure. risk for him to stay, right? He This is a great, a greater unknown for him, and that was the problem I had all the way going back to last year. So mm -hmm. I think what this came down to was mm -hmm. Austin Matthews, you I'm Brad Treliving. Austin Matthews, you tell me how much you want. You tell me the term. And I'll, I'll sign. I actually don't care. And I think that's good. That's what it should be. Because you know what? Like, listen, if he doesn't want to sign eight years, that's his choice. He's allowed mm -hmm. to make that. He has every right to make that choice. And he should be criticized for it. Listen, if he wants to make a million dollars in a couple of years by getting maybe a raise on his next contract, fine. But also at the same time, there's two sides to this coin. People always preach value. And it's funny because the people I see preaching value are the ones mad at this deal. Well, Listen, if you wanted that eight-year deal, that means that Matthews would go into his age 30, 31, 32, 30, 31, 32, 33 season. Those are the years that players typically decline. So you now have an opportunity. Do I think this is going to happen? No, but you now have the opportunity to re-sign Matthews at potentially a lower cap hit than you're getting right now. Will that happen? Like 99% sure that not, that's not going to That would happen. mean he wouldn't be playing well <laughs> exactly. these coming years. So, well... Uh, there is a realistic chance that he could eventually fall off, right? He has, he's had severe wrist surgery, right? Injuries are a factor. I'm not hoping for any of this stuff. I don't think it will ever happen, but 
strictly value wise, if you're looking at it from that perspective, and signing risk. guys into their 30s is an immense, immense risk that many yeah. teams take on and tend to lose value on these contracts in those back half of those deals. And guess what? We have one, John Tavares, right? So, um, listen, I like exactly what you said where the eight-year deal, yeah, of course, he could have signed eight, but he also could have signed zero. He could have left. He could have signed so, zero. Exactly. Like, so That's plain and simple. He could have signed zero. Here's where I disagree in terms of the GM and the rapport and such. I think there was still a report. Like, they didn't fire Brendan Shanahan. Shanahan texted the core players after Dubas was fired and said, we're keeping the band together. I like these. I like you guys. I, I still want this to happen. And all the core players said, like, I still want to be here. And now we know for sure that that wasn't bullshit from Austin Matthews. He actually does want to be here. And as well as the team had the cap space to re-sign him. So there was that flexibility in terms of how many dollars he was going to get. I don't think it was just a blank check because if it was, he would have got 15. I think 13.25 is in the realm of what he's worth. Here's what you have to realize also. Oh, we should have traded him if we knew he wasn't going to sign for eight years. You are not going to win a Stanley Cup without star players. And the chances of you losing a trade involving a star player is very, very high, right? Because unless you're getting a star player back, like you're really running some risks there, right? Yeah. Unless yeah. you're getting... Like, I don't even, I, I I can't even name one. Like, who are, who are the players in the stratosphere of Austin Matthews right now? It's like Connor McDavid. I'll put Kale McCarr in there. I'm a huge fan of Kale McCarr. Connor but McDavid, like, Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon. Like, what? these I guys aren't Matthews going more anywhere. Than McKinnon. Matthews is better than McKinnon. So, the, Chuck's <laughs> a very good player. I still like Matthews. Connor more Bedard? Than like, I don't know. Like, like what Connor are you Bedard, do? Yeah, we're going to trade him to, to the, the, the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks thing. Yeah. But so. that's the thing. That's what you have to realize. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Like it's, I, I know I hate using similes and metaphors to ex describe hockey, but that's the thing. You need superstars to win, to go deep, to contend, essentially, right? You kept the superstar and you didn't have to, like, you paid them the highest in the league, but it wasn't an overpayment, I would say, right? Yeah. You paid them as one of the top players in the league. So, that's where I think it's fair. Obviously, you would like 88 years. Obviously, you would like 11 mil per year. That's just not going to happen. Huberto signed for, what, 10 and a half over eight? Yeah. Like, guys And Huberto was older. Huberto was yeah. four years older than Matthews. So, that would have been three years from, from last year, whatever, right? Yeah. It, it's a really interesting because you rarely see a guy being able to sign at this age, right? So, yeah. I mean... It's a tough position. He's 25 turning 26, 26 when the contract kicks in. More, so, so um, I guess 20, no, 27 when it kicks in. Yeah, because he, he's a September baby. So he's 26 this year, 27 next year. I mean, listen, I've, I've been saying this to all my friends. It's incredibly dumb, but I actually think it works, right? There's a glass of milk on the table, okay? Mm -hmm. Everyone is arguing whether it's half full or half empty. Fuck the fuck that shit. Give me the milk. I'm thirsty. I just want my milk. Yeah. That's all I care about. We got Austin Matthews. That's all I care about. That's that. That's about where I'm at with this deal. Yes, like like we said, because it's signed for eight. But who gives a shit? We have our guy. Like yeah. Like I, I don't know. I feel like there's it's nothing not, really. It's else not to something to be that. like ah oh, like like fuck it. Who cares? It, it is the like we lost out on four years. Sure, we could have lost out on, on another four years. 
Yeah, that we could, was we could enti- only have one that more year. That is entirely possible. Like, to just dox the contract and just say, oh, what the hell, like, we should have traded him. Like, A, you could have easily lost that trade and easily then been handcuffed to another player and been dog shit for years on end. And B, you could have lost him for nothing. That is the big thing here. The Calgary Flames, the New York Islanders. Who are some other ones? I'm, I'm running out of names here. What, for guys who lost lost guys? Teams like guys that who just lost. like let players walk in free agency. But it never, it's it's only a recent trend, it feels like. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Pa- Panarin with Columbus. I guess that was kind of a weird situation. Like Panarin, yeah. Uh, uh, Sergey Bobrovsky, I guess. In, Bobrovsky, in yeah. Like, well. It's part. It's a part of the game. It's literally a part yeah. of the game, and I don't know. So, I, yeah, I, I've I've said all I've had to say. Stayed. I think, yeah, and that's and we should be happy another about it. Years. I'm seeing people who are mad, guys. Be happy that we have Austin Matthews for another four years. Like it's again. Like I don't know. I don't know why people just assume that he was going to be on our team no matter what. There was there was a, a not a non-zero chance that he would leave. Like there is a very real possibility that he would have left. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's much more I can say on this. So. It's a good deal. Look at the goals per 60 numbers too, like a five on five. Last year, I'm I, I believe last year was a down year. He'll kick it back up to 50. He's an exceptional player. It will translate into the playoff into playoff success. I think we've said all we can with that, right? Yeah. Uh, I just have one more thing before we uh we end it off here. Um, just a quote from Andy Bernard of the office. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left. Just think, just think about that. That's all I want to say. Just think about that. So, yeah, I like that quote. Do I have another one? <laughs> um, oh yeah, uh, Troy Barnes from Community. Um, it said, uh, "It said market price. What market are you shopping at?" <laughs> say that. <laughs> I like that one. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> all right. Let's kick it to our interview with Corey Snyder. Honestly, fantastic interview. We talked advanced stats. We talked players that unsung players, unsung heroes, I suppose you could call it. We talked newly acquired Leafs. We talked a little bit about Austin Matthews again because why the hell not? He's a fantastic player. So let's kick it over to Corey Snyder. All right, we're recording. Yes, sir. Welcome everyone to the Rink Rat Report podcast. Another exciting guest we have on today. At shutdown line, Cordy Snyder. Uh, you might recognize him from his Twitter account. He puts out some fantastic statistics to the public, some micro statistics that you don't often see thrown out, uh, thrown around. We're happy to have him on today. Um, how's it going, Corey? How is it going, Corey? It's going well. Uh, thanks for having me on. Like we we appreciate. Less, yeah, we appreciate you. Few hours of free time I'll have over the next couple of weeks with a kid on the way. Oh, congratulations! Oh, I didn't know that. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, well, we thank you for joining us for these last few hours you have left in uh, until hockey season starts, and you're just drowning. I, I feel so bad, but I mean, listen, we love the work that you do. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, so, I guess just to start, what exactly is all three zones? What What does your project entail? Just to for the listeners that don't know. What inspired you to start this process? Tell us a little bit more about kind of what it is and what you do and, and why you do it. So this kind of started back like in 2011-ish. And back then, like all we, re- all we really had to work with was just on-ice data. 
basically just shot attempts since zone starts. That's really all we had. And then some people started tracking scoring chances and that kind of evolved into zone entries. And I was really into the studies that people were doing and I enjoyed like kind of collecting the data because I liked seeing what's happening in front of me. And to me, this all just kind of made sense. It made like understanding hockey and just how teams work a lot easier for me just because I'm a visual learner. I kind of like seeing practical example of things, why they're effective. So like a whole study in zone entries and zone exits just made sense to me. And uh, I started doing this on my own and people got people just started getting more interested in it kind of as time went along. It led, it led to some consulting jobs and I ended up back in the public sphere and I've been doing this for a few years now and I feel like it gets bigger every year, but that's just like, that's just because like, I find kind of better ways to present and organize the data every year as I get smarter, just kind of what I've been tackling with lately. It's less about kind of collecting as much data as possible and more about making the data make sense to like the common fan and not just me. That makes sense. And and just to like let people know exactly, you do this all yourself, all this data collection that you don't hire anyone, you don't outsource, right? You don't outsource any of your work. You do this all yourself. So all the all the the track stats that you see on Twitter, whenever people, t- that's all your work, correct? Yep, that's all just me. That is honestly in, in insane. And I re- completely respect the hustle and grind that you have to, and commitment you have to do this. Because it's just, I can't imagine the hours that it would take to do this. And yeah, it's I mean, when you love something, you obviously love it. So uh, just just to get started here, like, do you mind going a little bit deeper on how you arrive to, I guess, your barometer of like what you evaluate a stat as, you know, does that, does that kind of make sense? So like, for example, like, how did you, how do you, how do you decide what is a scoring chance? How do you decide what is a zone entry? It's like, so those are a little bit simpler, but like where, what was the barometer that you had for all these stats? Like, do you have something in your head? Is it loose? Is it feel like? What's kind of the process behind that? Yeah, so I go with pretty rigid definitions for everything. And with zone entries, I started by using Eric Tulski's method for tracking them. And uh, he was, he had very strict and rigid definitions with his, like there will, like he was very, he hired, he hired like a lot of volunteers. Well, a lot of, he had like a lot of volunteers at the beginning tracking this kind of stuff for him because he's the one that started looking at this, but he had rigid definitions to make sure the data stays consistent. And he would always kind of double check people's work to like, make sure, Hey, like this, this is right. This, why is this an entry? But why is this not an entry? Like, why didn't you log this? Why didn't you log that? And that just kind of like ingrained into my head, how to track it. And then as time went on, I I started adding more things to add context because like the initial stat of like a zone entry that tells you a lot, but it's also just one stat. So you can add more things like whether a scoring chance is created, whether a pass was completed. And then that's kind of taking work from what other people do, like Ryan Stempson, who started tracking passes. So then you can start linking zone entries with a passing play, specifically a passing play that led to a shot. So with me, it's linking back kind of these subjective stats to objective events like shots, basically is kind of what my guideline is for everything. And with like scoring chances specifically, that was also something that had a rigid definition when people started tracking it. And like, it started off just with like kind of the home plate area in front of the goal with zone entries. But like as time went on and I kind of, this kind of became my own thing that I track, I created my own definition for it. Like making sure the shot wasn't disrupted going off the play-by-play 
getting rid of shots that might have been double counted or mm -hmm. disrupted, blocked when they were logged as a shot on goal, that kind of thing. So really it's just to measure like it's to measure danger, but even then it's like there's more I could do with that. Just like there's a lot more I can do with that to add context, but I don't want to add too much context and like overcomplicate the yeah. process and just going off a baseline because like the stat's not going to tell you everything. That's why you go back and look at like the footage later to kind of like fact check yourself and see like why isn't like a player's getting this player's getting like five scoring chances a game. Why why is he have such a crummy shooting percentage? And you like where the scoring chances are coming from. It might just be like right next to the goaltender. There might be a bunch of rebounds that he has no space for. So it's like you can go back and look, and that that gives you something to write about, something to work with, something you can work on if you're a coach or just a player in general. So like, there's a lot of different things you can do, but like, it's just kind of taking the data and going from there, not saying, "Oh, the stat says this." That means everything. It's kind of just building, using it almost as your starting point. If you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with our code RINKRAT. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T. Get 20% off and free shipping with code RINKRAT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code RINKRAT at manscaped.com. We've talked about them. Uh, the underwear are fantastic. That's probably my favorite uh, product from them. But the razors are stupendous as well. Again, Promo code RINKRAT, R-I-N-K-R-A-T, at manscaped.com. Take a look in your underwear. If there's a rip, throw those things out, you disgusting piece of garbage. And go to manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping. Okay. So just quickly, I'm going to rattle off some of your statistics that you have on your player cards. Um, and you can find all of your player – not all of your player cards. Sorry. You can find some of the player cards at your Twitter handle, at shutdownline. It's very easy to spell at shutdown line. So go check out Corey on Twitter. Um, but you post these very nice cards with kind of the breakdown of your micro stats. There's a couple that stuck out to me um, that I just wanted like a more clear definition on because I couldn't really find. And maybe some listeners might be wondering it as well. So one of the stats I was looking at was passes from center lane. So what exactly is a pass from center lane? So basically, uh, when I look at passes, this is from Ryan Stimson's initial passing project. Uh he would have you mark down where the pass is coming from on the ice. So if it's outside the face-off circle, that's the left lane. Well, the outside the face-off circle is either left or right lane. Hmm. Everything in the middle is the center lane. And the reason why we look at the reason why we look at center lane passes is because they have a slightly higher shooting percentage than otherwise. So I think it's like a pass from the center lane has a shooting percentage of about ten or eleven percent compared to say eight or nine percent if okay. it's a pass from the left or the right lane. So it's a way kind of just like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to it. Like you could be getting to the middle of the ice to kind of, it confuses the goaltender. There's more traffic from there. It's harder for the goalie to track something coming from the center lane. Cause you don't know if the pass is going left or right. Mm -hmm. It could be any one of those things really, but it's just a matter of measuring what the high danger plays are or the higher quality passes are and what teams or players and like if teams or players are good at kind of creating these plays. 
So to further on that point, because Jason, you were asking before, that's where from the goalie perspective, if the pass is coming from the boards into the center, like the pass can only go from the, say the right side boards to the center. Can't go, it can go maybe all the way to the left side, but that's going to take a lot more time. It can't go more to the right side. You're already on the right side. So that's where from the goalie perspective, there's a lot more options for the player to to do essentially from there. They can either shoot it from there, which is a good opportunity, as you mentioned, or the pass can go either right or left. So you're going to have to make a good read from there. So that's where now I'm understanding more uh, that sort of stat and sort of the the significance behind it that's a good call right there for furthermore to that it's also like a great stat that kind of encapsulates pre-shot movement right because right. i mean there's not really many other stats that do that right expected goals especially does not consider pre-shot movement and i was because I, I, when i first saw it i was like why did passes from the center really matter isn't that bad because you're going to be passed like wouldn't passes from the boards to the middle of the ice be better but in the offensive zone in the context you're explaining it makes a lot more sense now so thank you for clarifying that another one i have a question about is pressure what exactly do you define as a pressure and this is this has to do with uh, for checking so what exactly is a pressure so a pressure is basically a disrupted exit i used to track all pressures now i only track pressures if it disrupts the zone exit so if he's if the uh if the four well it's not always a forward it could be a a defenseman pinching too obviously but if he is applying pressure on a player exiting the zone and forcing an uncontrolled exit that's what that is so just a way to kind of like just a way to kind of gauge like if the four checker is doing his job or not with like disrupting the play and this one's a tough one too i usually go if the player is within two strides of the player exiting the zone and uh that's one of those stats it's kind of it matches up with a lot of those good defensive forwards like not necessarily ones that are good in the defensive zone but ones that spend a lot of time in the offensive zone and are good on puck and this is this also can be a team driven stat too because you have a team like the hurricanes that likes to dump the puck in all the time and they'll have pretty much almost everybody on the team is a good four checker so that could be a little more team driven but that also might mean they're going after those types of players too yeah, like when you look at some of their free agent signings, like Jesper Foss was the guy who had good four checking stats on a Rangers team that wasn't good at this for years, and then he goes to Carolina and he's a pretty, I mean, he's, I wouldn't say he's like a critical player there, but he's a he's fit in really well. Yeah, it's like the chicken it's or the egg, right? Like yeah. So, um, cycle. So the next one is cycle and four check percentage, and this is the offensive stat: cycle and four check percentage. Yeah, that is a situational stat, which tells you where the shots, if the shots are coming off the rush or the forecheck. Okay. So the percentage of where the shots are coming from, basically a way to see if a team creates more shots and chances off the rush versus off the cycle or the forecheck. Okay. And that's uh, something I would do on it. I do want to add more context to that, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm doing like a goal tracking project. So we'll see. uh, There's going to be more data on that soon, too. So on that stat, I believe you said it before, but the Leafs, are they, they're not, in terms of their rush offense, is it lacking behind the, the league average, would you say? Uh, the Leafs, from what I remember, they are more of a, they're more of a forechecking team. Last year, they were better at rush offense, but they're for, it's interesting with them though, because they're more of a forecheck in, in like a controlled way than a crash mm. and bang type of way because they like to reset and re-enter the zone a lot, and they like to pull up and kind of wait for more, try to 
hang on to the puck out high, try to create like the perfect scoring opportunity. And uh, it's like mostly just kind of a playing style stat more than anything. But last year they were better on the, they were better off the rush. They were creating a lot more, they were creating a lot more shots off there compared to uh, the previous year. Uh, all right. Last, last one for you. Then we'll get into onto other stuff. Successful retrievals. How do you exactly do you define a successful retrieval? So that is a defense. That is something I'm using to kind of gauge defense. Basically it's the start yeah. of a zone exit. Okay. And it's a player going back to retrieve a dump in or a loose puck in the defensive zone. And if he's making a, if he's making a good play with it or Basically, if he's making a good play with it or not, because I have successful retrievals and there's botched retrievals, which is if he gets knocked off the puck, beaten to a puck that he could have gotten to, which is a little bit subjective on my end, but I try to stay consistent with it. Or if he just throws it up the wall to a waiting defenseman or opposing player. So those count as failed or botched retrievals. And a successful retrieval is if he gets the puck, moves it to a teammate, or clears it out of the zone to relieve pressure and this is if there's a forecheck coming at them so there's no i don't count these plays if there's no pressure exiting the zone okay that makes sense because like why would john klingberg is a pretty good defenseman at retrievals Uh, he was not last year in anaheim but anaheim was also one of the worst teams in the league last year so there could be some system play there but he's a I'll have to pull up his stats from Dallas because he was a good puck mover in previous years. Yeah. He's just very turnover prone is the problem. Yeah. Just holds on to it, it seems like, too much. And there's, like, times where it's like, brother, you're a good skater. Why are you, like, trying to fit yourself like a little bat in between the, the forechecker and the net? Like, what the, Some of the decision-making to me is a little bit crazy. But uh, I was impressed yeah, look- the way he was able to play lefty on minnesota last year yeah looking at his stats right now last year he wasn't great in anaheim but not as not as bad as i remember but uh he did he was better in dallas which could be better supporting cast but he is kind of turnover prone and has a lot of he had a lot of good plays and a lot of bad plays mixed in with the stars on a better team with anaheim it was mostly just bad plays and i actually did a I did a write-up on Anaheim just on my Substack just to kind of see if I had anything nice to say about the worst team in the league. And Anaheim, like just from what I gathered, they tried to play a lot. They played a, a very, they tried to play a very controlled game coming out of their own zone. They tried to reset a lot and they just didn't have like the skill set to really do that. They didn't have the forwards at all. They had some good puck movers on defense, but just not, they just were not, they were not efficient at all. They kind of played the game where they sort of, invited pressure rather than like constantly being under duress just from being indecisive so we'll see how he does on a better team yeah, yeah. Uh, new customers download the DraftKings sportsbook app and use code thpn bet just five dollars to score 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly that's code thpn only at DraftKings sportsbook gambling problem Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts. Call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 
on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort KS in West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut. Help is available available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Let's see. Exactly. And I, that kind of goes into, I wanted to get this question a little later, but it's kind of like very topical to what we're talking about here with Klingberg. Like how much does team effect play into players having good and bad years? Like you mentioned, like last year, obviously playing for Anaheim, Klingberg's not going to have the best year, right? Is it more like, do you, like, how do you, one, how do you control for these things? I guess you can't really, but uh, is that just more feel than anything when analyzing players after the fact? And like you mentioned, instead of just having the data, trying to contextualize the data while you're tracking it is that more so after the fact of like you have the data now we we look at it and say okay we can probably look at it and say okay maybe it's he's on anaheim this is why he's had a dip down is that kind of like is, do you find team effect often plays a big role in players uh, having extremely like like hitting kind of extremes where they go really good and they go really poorly or what what do you kind of see there yeah, so this kind of varies depending on the stat because there are some stats that stay consistent, like on a t- uh, year over year, like even if a player okay. switches teams or if they switch coaches. Because that's the the thing about microstats is like what I try to do is measure individual skill mm-hmm. to see like what are the things that are going to carry over if you trade for this guy mm-hmm. or if he switches teams mid year. And with a player like Klingberg what did stay consistent with him is his passing. And that's a stat that usually kind of carries over into the next, like onto the next team, just because it's one of those things you're either good at or you're not good at, especially as a defenseman. And what I see a lot of is there's a lot of these stats that kind of like the general pattern, if you look at the player card stays the same, but like the, if not the, the rate at which they do them either goes down or goes up depending on the team quality or what their role is. So a player like Klingberg, for instance, you can see that like, you can see like in Anaheim, he was a lot more of a passer, but he was creating a lot of very good passing plays, especially in the offensive zone. Very good with high danger passes, good with controlled entries, good at exiting the zone with possession. But he just had, he, he just had a lot more turnovers and he wasn't shooting the puck as much because he's not in the offensive zone as much. But a stat that does kind of get a stat that is very system driven though is entry defense, mm-hmm. which I kind of track as a way to see which defensemen are good at shutting down rushes and which defensemen are a lot more like turn or a lot more like mistake prone in that way, just from being over aggressive or being overly conservative. And that's where I see a lot more system play, but it's a lot more. It's a lot more on the extreme end, if that makes any sense, because like uh, not to pick on the Ducks, but like last year, a lot of their defensemen were very bad at entry defense. And another team that fits that is the Buffalo Sabres, who were a fire wagon hockey team. 
and Darlene, Owen Power, a lot of those guys, very bad entry defense numbers, great offensive numbers though. Yeah. Whereas a team like LA, who was they I don't I wouldn't say they're the best defensive team in the league, but they were the best team in the league at not allowing controlled entries. And all of their defensemen very good at preventing controlled entries and very good at preventing shots of controlled entries. And the extreme in there was Gavrikov, who they got at the deadline. And he played really well there, but it was also like they could have gotten any defenseman with like some sense of mobility to play his role, and they gotten similar results. So on the extreme end, I see it does matter, but like in the middle of the pack is kind of where you start. The middle of the pack is kind of where like uh, systems are less at play. Okay, interesting. So. So I guess this kind of goes into like our, my next question that I have for you. It's like, how much does a coach's playing style affect your numbers, if at all? So like that right there, it seems like there's some numbers that are definitely driven off of system alone. So do you mind just like kind of differentiating between which stats you think are, are, are a coach? Like, no, I don't want to say coaching, I guess system driven and which stats are more individual players. I'm sure there's like, you don't have to go through all of them, just like kind of big ones that you see that are, I guess, mostly system driven. And then also like, are there any, like, like the LA Kings are a great example. I wouldn't think of them as such a good entry down team. Are there any other teams where maybe a coach is able to coach in a good style of hockey where uh, many of us might not think of them as being good at that certain uh, role, but their entire team is good at it. So is there any like certain coach out there that you could see as like having a certain style that people don't really expect the team to have, but he's able to coach in them? Yeah. The surprising one for me was Lindy Ruff and the devils. Cause, uh, the last couple of years, they have... Well, last year, they've really just exploded as a great offensive team. And this is something they've kind of been building ever since they drafted Jack Hughes. They have been such a rush-dominant, rush-heavy team, a team that likes to reset all the time, especially. So a lot of their players have very good entry numbers, but they also targeted players that have good entry numbers, too. And a lot of it goes back to kind of building around Jack Hughes. So I kind mm-hmm. of wonder if that's like the coach building to the player's strengths or not. And on the extreme end, the other way, Rod Brandemore in Carolina, very good. He's a very board check heavy coach. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, guys like Nietzsche, Saho, and Sveshnikov are allowed to kind of create off the rush when the opportunity presents itself. And I haven't really, and also like Vincent Trocek when he was there too, that's kind of like the mid-tier example I always go back to. Cause I, so like, I haven't really seen any players through Carolina just from following them so closely that I thought might've been hampered by the system. I just thought like, this is kind of what he's coaching to just kind of playing to the player's strengths. Now on defense, I think that's a lot more, that can be a lot more system driven because with the hurricanes, especially they don't push for controlled exits at all. They like clearing the puck out all the time. Like the first sign of danger, the pucks off the glass, it's gone. And it's just a race from then on. But that's the most extreme example in the league. Everybody else is is a lot more kind of like everybody else is a lot more uh, like just player driven, in my opinion, because like you have your strong puck movers and guys who are less as good or less good at moving the puck. Like in Vegas is a good example of that because like you have Petrangelo, you have Theodore, but you got you also have Martinez and you have like Braden McNabb who are not going to make any plays with the puck, but they're just kind of there too absorb damage while the other guys focus on getting the puck so just on that vegas note there stanley cup winning team i mean great mix of defensemen 
a ton of money on the cap. Yeah. But I'll leave that aside there. Um, is there a sort of mix of players, we'll start on the back end, that you find would be most successful, like uh, from regular season through playoffs and whatever? Like, like in, for example, I'm saying like, yeah, like a puck mover plus a good shot blocker plus a this plus a that. Do you have any sort of mix that you think um, kind of leads you to success? Um, I don't really think it's the right mix exactly. It's just kind of playing to what you have, like, because with the previous year you had Colorado with McCarr yeah. and Taves on the same pair, and that's two superstar players on the same pairing. Mm-hmm. Whereas other teams, they like splitting them up a lot more. Like, if they're on a different team, I'm sure McCarr and Taves might be playing on different pairs. Mm-hmm. But they also got like tiny Sam Girard back there too, a great puck mover, and Josh Manson, who is a non, who I think. Like people, people like kind of talk about like his hits and fights, but he's a very good puck mover too, and like an underrated one. So they had a style that everybody was playing, but that was also Mm -hmm. kind of an insanely juiced team. Like he had like Nazem Kadri with eighty points, making like six million on the cap or something. Five five, two five. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like that. that... Four and a half guys. Was it four yeah. and a half? It oh my god! Oh my gosh! Oh. But yeah, that's just it. Building up the roster, like those forwards yeah. can fly, even though like the not yeah. good, not so good ones like JT Comper could fly too. So they kind of yeah. built that roster out. We, meanwhile, you have a team like Tampa Bay, like they just have the tower Victor Hedman, and they put literally anybody that can move and shoots right-handed next to him, and they get good results basically every time. And then they have more kind of they have like more of a minimalistic approach on their defense, except for uh, Mikhail Sturgachev, mm-hmm. who is a lot more, he, he's interesting because he plays like the big minutes, but he's not, hand, he's not trusted to handle like the top competition and the heavy defensive zone minutes. Like he's a lot more red line and down, mm-hmm. but they made that work for so many years because they could. So really, I think it's just kind of playing to whatever your roster strengths are. Cause like, and you kind of have to do that in the cap world too, like with Tampa Bay, like yeah. getting Jan Ruta to play top minutes for <laughs> league minimum. And just like Vegas last year, a lot more pricey, but they had kind of a minimalistic approach on their defense aside from Petrangelo and Theodore. But that's also because their forwards are, especially the centers were insanely fast, like Stevenson, Eichel. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like when you see what Vegas, what I saw Vegas do a lot of especially was like the defensemen don't always make great plays with the puck. They kind of just get it to the second layer and then the forward would just pick it off and he would be gone after that from like up high. So it's interesting kind of looking at how different breakouts work, different team tactics work as Colorado is like Colorado was such like a two passes and we're out of the zone kind of team. Whereas Vegas was get it to the wall and have the forwards win the battle and then they'll streak out of the zone from there. So it's interesting looking at how certain play styles that like I might think are optimal aren't always going to work for every team in the league. And there's yeah, different yeah. ways to kind of, there's different ways to win different ways to look at things. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And also it, it kind of just shows how much of like a unique perspective you have because of all of the games that you watch and all the games that you've tracked. A lot of people who watch hockey generally just follow as a fan and like, they don't really have as much nuance and context of as much as, as you have in, in like watching and understanding the game. Um, I, I have a quick question. You kind of do this already, but kind of to a lesser degree, you, you kind of, I like to think that you have kind of player archetype set up. 
with the way that you set up those grids, top right corner is one thing, bottom left corner is right. So do you, have you ever considered trying to go like a little bit more in depth in building out like a player archetype system? Cause I've kind of heard from, from people talking hockey that listen, maybe you can win with, uh, you can obviously win with, with 12 McDavid's for, for forwards, but like you need kind of different styles of players. So just from a team building perspective, have you ever considered like building out archetypes for players just based off their micro stats profile? Yeah, I kind of attempted that. Um, my last Substack post, and I'm trying to do mm-hmm. the same with defensemen now. Defensemen cool. is difficult though because you have players that are good at everything, players that are mm-hmm. good at three out of four things, players that you think might be good at something, but they're not great at it. So it kind of goes back to me looking if I need to refine my process more to do something like this, kind of create like the NHL player grade system. But it's also like these players, it's also trying to remember like these players are human beings too and kind of mm. can be coached a certain way, yeah. to play a certain way. But I have kind of looked at like what is kind of the baseline for making a defenseman or just a forward good exactly. And a lot of it kind of goes back to like skating and puck handling because if they're good at that, they can kind of be sort of like a chameleon type of defenseman. You, you can plug anywhere in the middle of the lineup and it's really just a matter of if they can play the, play the big minutes or not. Like uh, kind of what Seattle did with Vince Dunn, mm-hmm. like third pairing defenseman in St. Louis, protected, good shooter, very good skater, puck mover, wasn't really trusted with tough competition by Craig Berube. He goes to Seattle in the expansion draft. They have some trial and error with him, but last year, outstanding season. Once he kind of got used to playing those tough minutes, and sometimes it's about a player sort of getting better, getting more acclimated to his role and everything. But I do kind of try to look for like what is gonna make a player succeed in the in a certain role more. Like I kind of did that with forwards. My last post, I called it a player compass, basically looking at which players are are what I call microstat stars. Basically, guys like Nick Ehlers, Matt Barzal, who are very good at like exiting and enter, entering the zone, but they don't like score a hundred points a year mm-hmm. or like nine, even 90 points a year or something like that. And then I had guys like Brady Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, uh, Jason Robertson, who do not handle the puck as much, but they're star players. They score mm-hmm. a ton, great passers, great, just offensive players. And then there's guys that are more entry exit specialists. I called like a Jacob Rana, or Oliver Bjorkstrand's another one. Guys who are very good at entries and exits, maybe not so great at scoring goals, creating offense, but there's a place for those guys. Like your third line, you need somebody to flip possession like and just get a line change. They can do that. And on the other end, there are guys who didn't have great micro stats but have good results, like a Joel Eriksson-Eck, who are more like off-puck players and kind of succeed in ways that I don't really track. So there was a lot of ways to look at it. There's a lot more I can do with it. I, I think there's probably more than four categories for players is yeah. kind of what I'm sort of fall, yeah, the trap of yeah. falling into. But I'm trying to get better at that kind of thing to sort of group players in a certain classification. But it's also tough because, yeah. like, players change every year and everything. Mm. Yeah. Even if you're not going on vacation, summer's all about a vacation state of mind. Whether I want to listen to Taylor Swift on repeat or just need to retreat inside my own head for a bit, I love crafting my own summer soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds 
There's so much going on all summer. Sometimes you need to some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people or stay calm with some guided meditation. Personally, I love blasting Taylor Swift on my way home from the gym like Richie and the Bear. Let me tell you right now, Raycons are the best way to listen. Use earbud tap functions to toggle between three custom customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, and awareness mode. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, including eight hours of playtime, so you can listen to what you want when you want for a really long time. They come with custom gel tips for the most comfortable in-ear fit. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Right now, Rank Rat Report listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash THPN. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to save 15% off on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Exactly. I had one question about a player. We're talking about putting them in boxes, where they fit on a team, whatever. It's Max Domi, newly acquired Leaf Max Domi, who for some reason people think he's a big tough guy. He's not really. Um, you had a post on the day that he signed, or I guess it'd be the the day that he woke up because there was that whole, is he sleeping, he's in Europe bullshit. <laughs> but you, your sentiment to me kind of reads like there's some good with him, but it's an awkward fit. And I kind of saw the same thing watching him as well. Not the greatest defensively in terms of his awareness, but got some speed to him, can handle the puck. Where do you think Max Domi kind of fits on the Leafs? Or where should the Leafs be looking to play him to get the most out of him? Well, I think the Leafs were kind of doomed by not having much offense on their third line in the playoffs. They weren't getting much of anything of that all year. So I think there's something you can do with him as like a sheltered scoring forward, but like Domi's been an, almost a different player in every, every stop he's been in. Cause he had one insane season in Montreal where he looked like he finally broke out playing center. Excellent. Excellent on zone entries, excellent on rush offense. And then after that, things kind of just fell apart. They didn't trust him defensively. They didn't really, they moved into the wing a lot. And with Carolina, we, we had him for like a month or so, and he couldn't get off the fourth line. He played center one game. It was against Arizona, granted, but that's kind of where you saw the best of Max Domi because he was it, like the puck was always on his stick. The play was mm-hmm. going through him all the time. He got to he got to do a lot of that in Chicago too, just playing yeah. with that playing with Athanasio and Patrick Kane. Because like he's kind of the one controlling the play, he's mm-hmm. he's dictating where the puck is going. He plays a very traditional center role, mm-hmm. kind of with just moving the puck two hundred feet, and that seems to be where he's best. So I just don't know how much you're gonna. I don't know if it's like worth what you'll get out of him, like versus what he gives up defensively. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of utility with him. Like I thought yeah. Dallas got, I thought Dallas got a lot out of him in some games in the playoffs, but it was very hit or miss from what I remember. But he did play. He did have a couple games in the playoffs where it was like, this like it looked like he was he was definitely making an impact. Just the speed he brought, and kind of just to keep the third and fourth the third pair and fourth lines on their toes a little bit in Vegas. 
So I think something like that is definitely like where you'd want to slot him. It's just a matter of like, will he accept the role? Will he be happy playing those minutes? And like, how much is he going to produce on those lines? But I do think there's definitely a lot of, there's definitely like utility with him. Mm -hmm. That's right. Like there's those question marks with them, but there's definitely something there. So it's like, how do you find that happy medium? And I think that, as you said before, like there's been mixed results with every stop. And why is that? Well, it's like, where's he really fitting in? Who are his line mates? Um, but I did like your point. He was, he is good on the puck. And I think that really helped him with, uh, the Blackhawks there. Cause he was playing a lot with Patrick Kane. Who's a really good, like off the puck reactive player. Give me the puck, take the puck back. This was this is not from me watching. This was Daryl Belfry saying that, but a very much like give and go kind of player. And he, he succeeded in that. So, but can he succeed with that? Like playing with like David Kampf? Yeah. It just kind of depends. Like I think maybe mm -hmm. with, maybe with John Tavares is where you put him. Because like slower player, Tavares yeah. is very good in Tavares is very good in small areas, in mm -hmm. front of the net, getting Just deflections and all that. End. Yeah, but would be. Yeah, that's something you like. Do you live with it? Like, is are they going to outscore their problems enough? I'm just kind of looking at what they got on cap friendly right now. I don't know if these are actually going to be the Lions because they got Nylander with Tavares at the moment, which who knows if that'll stay a thing every year. At least it's yeah, I, so just just out of curiosity here, so you we we you just kind of painted the picture of like putting uh, Domi with Tavares versus Domi with Camp. Do you have like have you found that there are certain um, players who might like who in your head theorize work well together because their microstats profiles kind of one microstat profile makes up for what the other is missing and they can kind of blend and they work together. I, 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 it's like a little bit of a harder instance to think of, but um, have you ever, can you think of an instance off the top of your head where you saw a player on a team and you're like, wow, these two guys should be playing together because they can potentially complement themselves very well. Is there ever an instance where you can, where you see that? Um, do you think that's even possible to like uh, explore and look at with your microstats? Yeah, the Dallas top line is probably the best example of that. Because uh, yeah, because yeah. like like Jason Robertson does not handle the puck that much at all, right. and if he does, it's off his stick and not even a millisecond. But he's very good at knowing where to be, and he pretty much knows what he's going to do with the puck before he even gets it. So that kind of so like he's limited in that way. But Rope Hints is the puck carrier on that line, and he makes up for it. And he's one of the best in the league at that. And you also have Pavelski, who kind of is similar to Robertson. Mm -hmm. Still a lot more of a net front presence. But Pavelski is also very good at, like, getting to his spots and kind of creating from there. And they also have Hayskin to kind of back them up now, too, since he's getting more minutes on the blue line. But uh, I remember uh, I remember Dylan Strom and Patrick Kane complement each other in that way, too. Because, like, Strom's not a... Strom is like, a, he's a glider. He's not a fast skater, but he's very good at like getting to his spots, giving the puck to Kane and then going from there, kind of setting him up with like a bumper almost so that Kane doesn't have to go like a hundred feet with the puck on his own. And uh, there's kind of that, there's sort of that like symmetry in Carolina too with Tavo Taravainen and Sebastian Ajo for years. Like those two had great chemistry and Taravainen is not the best Terravine's not the best skater with the puck. It's like he's good at things individually, but he's not good at like going and lugging the puck down the ice at all. Mm -hmm. 
but he's very good at kind of making those read and react type of plays. Really good stick in the defensive zone too. And Aho, for years, he was not a great defender, but what he could do was kind of get to those loose pucks and go the other way. And Terravine created a lot of those for him. So there was that. So I definitely see it in some instances. There's probably a lot more like mm-hmm. that I'll think yeah. of, that I can think of once like I hang up here. But it's all okay. good. Yeah. To go back to the Leafs, Tyler Bertuzzi kind of sounds like that. He's a, he's a bit of a clunky skater, but I find him to be really smart, right? Yeah, he has fantastic scoring instincts. Like he's always in like the perfect spot to kind of get a tap in or just where the defense isn't. Like he was great at that in Boston and in Detroit. And like Detroit, that was a terrible offensive team for years, but him and Dylan Larkin still flew even on even on those pretty awful teams. Yeah. yeah and um, so anecdotally, do you have any metrics that you found that are good indicators of a player's success? Cause I can't imagine that you're like modeling out these things and looking for whatever are models over my head. Um, but yeah. So like, are there any metrics that you found that you think are good indicators? And also what are like, do you feel are the most important uh, uh, micro stats to lead to, offensive or sorry forwards uh taking the next step and defensemen kind of taking the next step well with forwards the one i always look at is controlled entries per 60 minutes so not the rate at which they i mean not the percentage which they enter the Mm -hmm. zone but like the rate they do it at because that means the pucks on their stick a lot and it's going in the right direction and i also look at controlled entries with with scoring chances per 60 minutes because more times than not, they're creating a chance with speed, they're creating a chance with space, and then it's all about kind of finding the finish after that. And most of the time, if I see a player like that, they're going to break out within like two or three years. Like that was the thing with Jack Hughes for a while. Like his first couple of years, he didn't have the great, he didn't have great offensive stats, but he was just a wizard in the neutral zone. And he was very good at passing too. So like shot assists is another thing. Chance assists kind of comes and goes. But uh, I really look, I look for those in forwards first. Like Tim Stutzla, that was the latest breakout. Jordan mm-hmm. Kyra a few years ago yeah. did that. And there's always like a solid floor with these players too. Like I went back, to, like I mentioned Nick Healers earlier. Yeah. Like Nick Healers, like that's usually like the worst case scenario. If you have a guy that's elite at zone entries and not scoring like that much in his first couple of years. So you'll have a guy that's going to be at the very least a very good play driving forward. And with defensemen, I usually they have to be good. This is going to sound very blunt, but they have to be they have to be excelling at something. Okay. Like in their first couple of years, like yeah. it could be entry defense, like standing up at the blue line preventing chances off entries, passing shot assists is a big one that I look at for defensemen, especially from the defensive zone out, because like, I want to see if they're, if they're making plays with the puck, solving problems. I, I only started tracking puck retrievals two or two years ago. So I haven't looked at like what success that indicates in a few years, but so far that's been a pretty good stat as far as Mm -hmm. sorting out who like the best, not who the best offensive defensemen are, but who like the best all around defensemen are, like your Chris Tanevs, your Kale McCars. Yeah, that's a great point because especially in, in your own zone, like has to start somewhere, right? The the offense has to start yeah. somewhere, and there are also probably a ton of defensemen who don't excel 
in the offensive zone, but are good on retrievals. One guy I can think of just as a Leafs fan is I was always amazed with how well Mark Giordano, even at his age 39, was able to retrieve the puck. And I'm curious, I assume he's probably high up in retrievals or it's, you know, I'm not sure if you have it off the top, but uh, to me, just eye test wise, that seems like a guy who's always high up there and uh, obviously not the most offensive guy, but because he does that, it leads to him being in the offensive zone more. And it's like a, a trickle down effect here. I'll, I'll buy you some time here and I'm going to, start previewing the next question before uh if, if you can find that uh so we want to obviously this is the least podcast we want to talk about austin matthews austin matthews just signed this massive contract and we talked about this uh earlier in the show before you came on here but um so we just kind of want to get your general perspective on the deal your thoughts on it like listen i'm just happy that matthews stayed so uh what are your what are your thoughts on matthews and we'll go a little bit more into matthews as like a player in in, in his micro stats profile but if you have the giordano is he is he high on retrievals or? Is, yeah, he, he's pretty good. Not average, like yeah, above average. Okay, I'll take like one. not. Yeah, he does play third. He plays third pair of minutes, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure back in Calgary, like the big puck probably. retriever, the puck retriever on the Leafs is always Brody. Okay, just as far as my tracking goes, and he plays yeah. more of the minutes too. That makes sense. So but yeah, uh, yeah. Back to Matthews, then just uh, your quick thoughts on the contract, and then. Just like some little things that maybe people might not expect that Matthews does well in your micro tra- micro stats tracking, uh, that might shock some people. Any anything you can find there would be would be cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty much they had to they had a star player and they had to pay for him. That's really all I see the contract as. It's a boring take, but yeah, uh, the term's a little scary. But I don't know. They did this once before. I don't think like if he wants to. I feel like if they knew he wants to leave, they'll, they'll know it in a few years. And I don't know. Like with him, it's really just about is the team going to win the playoffs or not? Yeah. And I thought, I, I don't, the playoffs are kind of a blur to me. I was like so drilled into the Carolina series that the Leafs Panthers one sort of went over my head. But like we, Carolina, we fell into the same trap. We could not score a single yeah. goal against Bobrovsky over four games and that seems to be what Matthews kind of fell into as well but during the regular season he's just he's just a horse like scoring chance machine one of the best that I've ever tracked as far as like chance generation goes does it without does it without really need needing to be set up either like he I always thought him and Jason Robertson were kind of similar just from how they can score without really getting set up they're very good at kind of pulling back to kind of creating their own space, creating their own shots to get some kind of like torque effect on it. And like real and Matthews is like probably one of the best chance creators. Like I said, that I've tracked what's uh, interesting about him is he's a guy that's sort of developed from like the offensive zone out. Mm-hmm. And it's different than what you see from a lot of junior players coming into the league. And I mean, it's everyone he played in, switzerland before coming to before coming here so like he played in the pros already but like he started out by kind of dominating in the offensive zone and then the rest of his game sort of came came from that but like a lot of players once they a lot of high draft picks especially is they're so used to kind of dangling through everybody to creating their offense creating off the rush matthews was a four check guy first from how he scored most of his offense and it was something that a lot of player, it's something like a lot, a lot of younger players don't really excel at. 
especially at the level he was doing like in his first couple of years. And then as he got older, he got better at kind of handling the puck better at creating the neutral zone last year. Surprisingly was kind of down for him there, which was interesting to me. He didn't have a lot of really didn't handle the puck much at all in the neutral zone, but uh, I kind of wonder if that's just Marner being a puck hog, but for years though, he was too. Yeah. Something there. Yeah, maybe, but like, he was a guy that kind of he didn't really need to do that to dominate at first. But once he did, he became like just the he became just a or an unstoppable player yeah. during the during the regular season. I feel like I always have to have that caveat, otherwise someone's gonna fucking yell at me. So, <laughs> so one question there. So obviously Matthews dropped from sixty goals to forty. No secret there. Um, one hundred and two points to eighty five, something like that. Was there a difference you saw in his micro stats in his chance creation uh, between those two seasons? Uh, a little bit. He's not setting like he used to be elite at setting up chances and he was just good last year, which like is still fine. Nothing really to like worry about. But like when you go from elite to just very good, that's like being a hundred point player and being an 80 point player. So that's what fell off last year. So I'm kind of wondering if it's like a blip or if there was something going on there. Could have been injury, could have been just not playing at the level that we're used to seeing from him, or mm-hmm. it could just be a fluke. But the one thing that really did change with him was was just the level, the amount of offense he was creating off the rush. Because he's usually creating offense from everywhere. Last year it was four, it was very forecheck dominant. So I wonder if that's like a missing layer or something. And that's kind of what I'm looking at. Like I'm doing a little mini project right now on goal scoring, kind of looking at where goals are coming from, how they're, where they're originating from. And looking to see if there's like anything there, especially with like the elites like Matthews. Yeah. Cool. So so you mentioned, sorry, Jason, one, uh, close that off. I guess the Austin Matthews topic. So you mentioned chance creation. Is that both shot and passing, or is that just shot? Uh, passing and shots. But like, uh, as far okay. as like shooting the puck, yeah, he was good at that. Or still like the same player. But like with passing, he wasn't as great as he usually is. Interesting. And I mean, I this is kind of what I'm hoping to look at with some of the goal scoring tracking I'm doing, just to look at like how much space a player has. Like if he's getting a lot of rebound goals or a lot of net mouth goals versus like still getting the same room he did up high in the slot to kind of create those, create a lot of his chances. Because I think maybe there could be something about teams like catching on to him. They might know he's not that good at scoring goals from the net front and they might be more willing to give up those chances. Whereas they just don't want him getting room. So I, that's just a hypothesis I have. I don't know if it's like true or not, but I kind of wonder if that goes, if that's what's going on, but like just from watching the the Hurricanes played a game against them late in the year, it was like in March. But Matthews had St. Patrick's like, Day or the game against one. Uh, it was the one that Carolina won in Raleigh. Oh yeah. But Matthews had like sixteen shots on goal that game, yeah. and I was looking at where the shots were coming from. They're all from like right in front of. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Kachekov was playing that night. Yeah, but it was Kachekov. Yeah, they're all just right from the net front. But he had like, they were willing to give him those shots, and he was getting them. But it was like, okay, you have like two centimeters of space to 
create this shot. So if you make the so if you make them more power to you, we're just not gonna let you set up in your garden spot like you're used to. And I think he got one shot from there and he scored on it. Yeah. Just from like a blown coverage or a turnover. So that's something I do want to look at. But that's also like it's a summer project late in the summer, post hoc yeah. analysis. I don't really know if like I don't really know if there's it's anything. Mm-hmm. Thing. I mean, yeah. to, so further to your research project there, I did mention a few episodes ago, probably tweeted yeah. about a thousand times, but according to Manipak from his five on five goals from last season to this past season, uh, from 21, 22 to 22, 23, it was medium danger goals is where everything wiped out. Low danger was the same. High danger was maybe off by one. Medium danger was a double digit drop, I believe. So, so that's yeah, kind of interesting. There. I was just going to say that's kind of interesting because, what, like you mentioned, maybe that is like a tactics change from teams playing against them saying, hey, let's make a concerned effort for him not to get those medium danger chance goals, right? And, and kind of let him get the other score in the other areas. So, I, I, if, if you can figure out a little bit more there, that'd be very, very cool, I think, because. I think that'd have to do with shots or I don't know. I don't even know where you'd start with this stuff way over my head. So yeah, this is very, it's very specific analysis. Like it Mm -hmm. applies to, it applies like to a select few players, Mm -hmm. but like getting room to get the shot you want is definitely like a thing that I think might is something I haven't, is something I've wanted to look at a lot more because we kind of lump high danger chances with net front chances. Like anything that's by the net is a high danger chance. And it's not the same across all models, like because they do account for rebounds and all that. But the chances where they might be outside of the scoring chance area, but they have like a halo around them to where they can kind of pick a corner, that's a lot more dangerous than like just pounding away at a rebound. And like there's kind of a theory that this is something the Hurricanes struggle with because they focus so much on tips, deflections, and rebounds, especially in the Florida series. Yeah. yeah, I mean the Leafs did that, and they were successful against Tampa Bay, where it was tips, garbage goals, and then it dried up right. against Florida, just like it what happened with Carolina. And I do have like I, I'm trying to get it out. I don't know. I'm struggling with the wording of it to not sound like a jackass for it. But I did a small project on my own where I looked at um, clusters of players where the percentage of their shots were like coming most from low danger area, high danger area, medium danger area. And I found actually that the top 50 players whose shot percentages are most coming from the high danger area actually had a negative goals minus individual expected goals. Right. Most often. Kind of showing that like, yeah, it's coming from a high danger area, but is it a true high danger chance? That's kind of my hypothesis off of it. I mean, you could either have a high danger chance where it's a wide open net, but are you whacking it into the goalie pads 15 times and just juicing your expected goals? So, yeah, it's possible. Like, uh, yeah, I did see a recent article kind of about this exact same thing. Like, yeah, it was like, it was specifically about like conversion, like, cause not instead of like adding up expected goals on top of each other, it's Mm -hmm. more about, what's the rate you're converting on like per possession or these like high danger opportunities. Cause like it's, it's always tough. Like, especially if you're a coach, cause like you're preaching, like we're doing all the right things. We're getting all these chances and it's like, we just stick with it. Like one's eventually going to go in and yeah, over the regular season, it's eventually going to even out, but you have seven games to 
you have four games really to figure yeah. this all out and that's not going to even out in time but it's also like you're so set in your ways too at that point that it's kind of hard to change like tactics in some way just because you've been playing the same way for 82 games and some teams have like gotten a lot more creative and a lot more like i guess better for lack of a better term as far as like shot creation goes is like tampa bay is a team that's very good about that they're always in motion they take a lot of point shots but they always have like a moving screen in front they're very good at getting the puck back and kind of playing the long game to set up like a one-timer chance and st louis two years ago was a team that preached like possession hanging onto the puck forever and scoring off passing plays mm -hmm. and they couldn't do that this year because teams knew what they were going to do and just kind of didn't budge when they tried to when they tried to dance around the offensive zone and they didn't let them enter the zone cleanly as much anymore so like there is kind of a cap on how effective it is and you do have to have like plan b's and all that but there are new tactics that i see kind of every year with how teams are getting their offense interesting um I, I just have a couple more questions before uh, we let you go here. We don't want to keep you for too long. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire um, question, rapid fire micro stats. So I'm going to list the micro stat and you're going to tell me some players that don't get enough credit for being good at said stat. Okay. So okay. let's start with the offensive zone here. Uh, I'm going to go for high danger assist. Who do you think doesn't get enough respect for being a good creator with their high danger, with their ability to create high danger assists? I don't want to say Kevin Fiala because that's uh, he's got a monster contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fair one though. Like, yeah, I think of him more as a goal scorer, but I, I could see him definitely being a, a guy who can create as well. Any other like, ones? Or yeah, I'm kind of going through my list right now. Like, yeah, cool. I'm always going to pump Nick Ehlers' tires because <laughs> yes. it seems like people. It seems like there's a segment of Winnipeg fans that do not like him. Uh, Anthony Duclair. It's hmm. been like a few years in a row now of him having insanely good passing stats. And uh, that's probably going to get better now that uh, he's the only one of the only good players in San Jose. That's interesting. Duclair definitely didn't have on that list. Yeah, I, I like those. Uh, so next one I have is cycle and forechecking offense. So just creating off the rush. So four off, check, off the cycle, sorry. Off the cycle and the forecheck. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, the, a guy I always go back to is Timo Meyer, who I don't know, not really underappreciated. That's just like the first guy I always think of. I feel like but, he would be if it wasn't for last season, him being a deadline guy. He definitely would still be like, I imagine if he extended with San Jose, he probably wouldn't be talked about as, as, as much of a good player as he's being talked about right now. Cause I feel like because of the San Jose, the time playing usually 10 o'clock for Eastern time, uh, people who watch uh, on, on the East coast. Right. So I could see him, have been flying under the radar in that aspect yeah um a couple other ones uh a third liner in edmonton ryan mcleod very good at mm. very good at kind of playing a territorial type of game really underrated defensively too like uh like in a way you don't really think of defense because he's a guy that came on as somebody that's good at p the possession game hanging onto the puck for a while and generating controlled entries Offense hasn't really come around, but he plays keep away really well and kind of mitigating the damage. So like the non McDavid lines aren't getting killed. Hmm. Interesting. Is he similar to his brother at all? Did you say? Uh, 
Is his brother Michael? Yeah. There's Michael uh, and Ryan, yeah. Yeah, not not necessarily. Okay. Kind of uh, different. Different guy. All right. Next one I have is pressures. Pressures per 60. And the only reason why I have this one is kind of like every time you think of a guy for checking and pressuring, you're thinking of that. Like, well, the majority, I think, of the, the average hockey fan would think of that big, brooding, strong, tough forward going in there into the corners, getting nitty gritty. But that's not always the case. So any guys that stick out pressures per 60. Yeah. Somebody that really found his niche there was Ellie Tolbinen after he got to Seattle. Wow. And he was drafted as like a goal scorer and offensive yeah. player, but he got play stunt. He kind of just didn't really find a spot in Nashville. And he, it, once Seattle claimed him, they put him on a checking line with Yanni Gord and Oliver Bjorkstrand, and they matched them up against McKinnon in the playoffs. Wow. And they still got, they took a lot of damage, but they did frustrate that top, mm-hmm. that, that top Colorado pair a lot, forced a couple turnovers by Taves that led to goals but he's very tenacious on the puck and it also helps that he can score a little bit to kind of make those count. But Bjorkstrand too is another guy who he's just like a, he's a, I don't want to say Swiss army knife. Cause like eventually you do want like an actual knife or an actual screwdriver, <laughs> but he can play almost any role in the lineup and do it. Well, that, that has to be one of the better trades of the last year, last couple of years than that Bjorkstrand trade to basically dump for nothing. And, and yeah. like, what a steal that, that Kraken uh, Kraken pulled off there. Um, interesting on on Tovenin as well because like it's yeah. it's it's it really shows that it's like nurture versus nature, right? This is a guy who probably had I, I don't know much about him as a draft prospect, but he had probably had the physical tools I, to be drafted drafted that high. I think it was like kind of like not the smartest player, but his shot was phenomenal. So mm-hmm. he was able to really do well in like the junior leagues, USHL, and then I think he went to the KHL too. The World Juniors, he had a couple good World Juniors because he could rip the puck. But, like, good physical skills. I remember Daryl Belfry actually did an episode on him when he was in Nashville kind of saying, like, a decent player in terms of smarts because of, like, his special... He was able to create space through through the neutral zone and was able to help get back in terms of defending decently. Like, he was a good first out, first... Yeah, first out of the zone and then first out of the offensive zone, he was saying. And that was kind of helpful, but like not the, the very quickest in terms of his stride. And I think that's where maybe he struggled a little bit. But yeah, yeah, maybe that's why he didn't fit as well in the top six and fit much better on that third line role. So moving from offensive zone to neutral zone, controlled entries with scoring chances. Well, one guy I'm high on as like a future breakout over the next couple of, next couple of years is Kent Johnson. Uh, he yeah. fits, he kind of fit that mold of a guy who creates a lot of, a lot of entries, but not much offense. And it might depend on who he gets slotted with next year, or if he plays center, because they have a few guys like Ross Levick that kind of move around a lot. But if he's, uh, if he's in a good spot, I think he's going to have a huge jump in production next year. Cause he's very talented. Okay. Uh, any, anyone else in particular or, uh, um, well, one guy that really exploded on last year was Tommy Novak, and oh, yeah. he was a guy that I kind of, I kind of had my eye on him, my eye on him in the first year he was in Nashville because he was a very good passer, very strong on the puck too, but he didn't really play fast. Mm-hmm. And then last year he kind of, once everybody got hurt, he just kind of exploded onto the scene, scoring in almost every other game it seemed yeah. like. For, and, for- 
43 points in 50 some odd games, I think. Is that and played in the AHL? Yeah, and he was a well, like he was not a goal scorer at all, like at any level, like in college, not at the I think not even in like the USHL. <laughs> like I think his high his career high in goals in Minnesota was like eight. Wow. And yeah, I don't know where the shot came from if I'm being honest, because like every time I watch him, I'm just like this guy would be a hell of a player if he ever like shoots the puck and if he wasn't like 160 pounds and then he just had that insane kind of he just had that insane run last year uh i always think matt duchene is kind of underrated even when he's not scoring goals very good like territorial player flipping the ice creating a lot of offense and nashville finally kind of figured out how to use him last year he's a quick strike offensive player he's a he's good when you play him with skill players he's not going to drive his line on his own but once he has a guy that can kind of just get him a puck in space he is going to do a lot of good things for you and i'm kind of excited to see how he does in dallas next year because i think they're set up to have a really nice season he's a he's the type of player i watched him a little bit because i was hoping the leafs would get him obviously not but like doesn't play like i wouldn't say he's a slow player but doesn't play that fast kind of lets the game come to him right yeah and i found he was very strong on the puck and very good at like getting himself the puck and, and some pretty sweet hands too ability to dish the puck was, was pretty nice yeah and like he is one of those guys that's just better on quick strike offense mm-hmm. rather than like the possession territorial game so you might have to live with like what he gives up in his own zone but that mm-hmm. kind of just depends on what you put around him, how you insulate him. I don't know if you'll get a 40 goal season out of him again, but yeah. I think with, with Dallas, he's in a, he's in a very good place to succeed there, especially like if Jamie Ben has this career renaissance that he's got going right now. Yeah. Um, all right. Continuing with the neutral zone denial rate. Um, well, as far as like, I'm trying to think of somebody who's not like an obviously good player. Cause like everybody knows that Adam Fox is good um he's good at denials too oh yeah he's good at basically everything. <laughs> basically everything he's good at um, uh one guy who was surprisingly good last year i don't know if this is just a contract thing but carson mm-hmm. susie in seattle had a really nice all-around season did a little of everything very good at like moving laterally to deny entries not great at kind of not great at starting rushes from his own zone no but he's good enough to kind of he's good enough to kind of like hold up his end Mm -hmm. and i'm interested to see how he does next year because he's gonna probably be throwing a lot of minutes in vancouver as opposed to like the 19 20 minutes with like mostly pk usage he got Um, but uh low-key one of the best players in entry denial was mikey anderson and uh system fit there obviously with the kings like i talked about earlier but he kind of just gets it like he knows what to do, what his role is, what his limitations are. Very good at stepping into forwards, not taking penalties. And uh, <clears throat> the guy I always kind of go back to this is Matthias Ekholm. Probably probably one of the best at not necessarily like breaking up plays at the line, but making like just killing plays within like, 10 feet of the blue line, like just shutting them off before they get to the face-off circle. Probably one of the best at using his skates to deny play, 
just using his skating to like deny plays, kill plays off the rush, and solid all around player. Yeah. All right, uh, and then next one I have for you is we're going to move over to the D zone successful retrievals. Not, unfortunately, not uh, Mark Giordano, but uh, anyone else <laughs> you have on that list. Um, like as far as off the board players, one of them is Nick Jensen in Washington. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, he is a he's just a workhorse who does the simple things well. He can play a lot of minutes. Doesn't really provide much on offense. He's not the great it's weird because like he's not a bad passer but he doesn't like make a lot of dynamic passing plays like he'll ice the puck a lot but like just to do the simple things he's very good at that and montreal found a really good kind of diamond in the rough and in uh jonathan kovacevic who similar mold does the simple things really well goes back takes a lot of hits to kind of keep the play going and just keeping disasters out of his own zone I thought you were going to say like Jordan Harris or, or maybe Mike Matheson, Kovacevic. Wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, there's a dynamic because, like, Matheson is the kind of player who is good when the other guy gets the, when the other guy gets the puck for him, mm-hmm. so he can kind of be the second guy sprinting the puck out of the zone. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have a I, I I didn't I the last time I watched the Montreal game was forever ago, so I don't know if they played with who there, but. I don't know if that's how the dynamic worked there or not, but the best player, like probably the best player that was underrated forever, but he's not anymore is Mackenzie Weger. He was yeah. the guy in Florida that started all of their rushes there from the defensive zone. He was their workhorse for years. And they, I mean, they figured it out eventually like made the conference final, but they had some headaches they had to deal with last year in the regular season. And a lot of it was just replacing his minutes and replacing the tough minutes he played to yeah. kind of figuring out that Aaron Eckblad can't do it all on his own. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and then the last major injuries too. That doesn't, yeah. yeah. Doesn't help. Last one I have here is exits with possession. Okay. Exits with possession. So I'm not going to count Rasmus Sandin's tenure in Washington. I'm kind of curious how much of that was smoke and mirrors. <laughs> I freaking love that guy. I, I'm so in love with Rasmus Sandin. So bitter that we traded him away for essentially not like a first round pick, but essentially like no talented. reason to trade him away. Kidding? He is very talented. I was, yeah. I was kind of, I was very confused by that whole trade. Even I did a whole article on it for McKean just to mm-hmm. kind of talk myself into whatever they were doing. But uh, back on topic, uh, <laughs> back on topic. John Marino is. Uh, oh is very good at controlled exits. So like controlled exits, it's interesting because like it's an offensive stat, but it doesn't always lead to points. Yeah. And John Marino is like the puck mover who is going to top out at 25 points. Mm -hmm. And he's very good at making those just frozen rope passes out of the defensive zone. And he's perfect for what, how the devils like to play too, just with how often they like to reset and kind of like, well, what they really love doing is, catching teams off line changes and Marino's very good at just making those really long passes to help that. And that was a very good trade. He signed to a great contract mm-hmm. for uh New Jersey. Yeah. So it seems like exits with possession, it's like just a guess. And I don't know if you know this, but it seems like that's probably one of the more core correlative stats with expected goals, just based off the fact that listen, if you can get out of your own zone with possession, Chances are you can probably get like, listen, you're not going to get that as many expected goals against. And then if you're not in your own zone, 
you're in the neutral zone or in the offensive zone lead to more expected goals for. So that makes sense. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can list off some of the top players and control exits and you tell me if they're good. Okay. Kale McCarr. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn Hughes. Hampus Lindholm. Eric Carlson. Yeah. Just the among- Chris Tan. Chris Tanev, like it's basically I didn't, you know, I didn't expect Chris Tanev to be that high. You don't really think of him much as a guy who can exit the puck, but makes sense Brothers, though. Yeah, he's yeah. like in that he's basically like what I talked about with Marino, but maybe yeah. more defensively sound. True. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Uh Joe, do you have any more questions? I have one more question to go to, and it's more of a fun question, but uh, no, I want to let you go first. All right. So this is the last question. Uh can you build a starting five, including goalie? So you're a Pokemon fan, I assume, because of your Machamp uh, profile picture. Uh, so build, maybe do not build a starting five, but just who do you, which Pokemon do you think would translate the best into hockey? Uh, I think Machamp would do well. He's lean. Okay, fair enough. I wonder if uh, I wonder if you could stick Hariyama at goaltender just from the <laughs> amount of size he takes up. I'm trying to think of like humanoid Pokemon, not yeah. like the four-legged ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Pseudo Wudo as a defenseman might work out. That'd be funny yeah. to watch. Yeah. Not the most mobile guy in the world, but <laughs> it'd be very entertaining. I'll say that. Yeah. A couple I came up with Snorlax for goalie, Dragonite as a shutdown defenseman. Same with Ursaria, yeah. Gardevoir, think- Lucario, and Floatzel as my, uh, as my forward line. <laughs> I like those. I was thinking, maybe, speak. I thought about putting Dodrio at, at right wing. Just gonna have to get around the fact that it's got no arms. But... <laughs> it's got three heads. The heads can act as arms. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. This was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I think. Awesome. Jason, you have anything to close right off? That's it for me. Yeah, I'm Perfect. good. Perfect. Thanks, Corey, again for coming on. I think yeah, a lot of people have learned a lot and gotten kind of better an idea even gotten a better idea of some of the Leafs new acquisitions and what they can and can't do. But thanks everyone for listening. Go Leafs go.